Open your Bibles this morning to John's Gospel again. John's Gospel, chapter 8. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Father, help us now as we come to this most important time yet again when your word is opened. And though our passage before us this morning is short in the volume of words that it speaks, may you speak with the enormity of the weight of the truth that is contained in it. May our hearts believe because you give understanding to the mind. May Christ be magnified. We pray that Christ would be seen as so precious, so much more than we often slow down to think upon and to realize. May the truths of who he is impact us in a mighty and an enormous way this morning, we ask, so that we glorify him more and more in all we do. For we pray this in his name and in his name alone. Amen. One verse this morning, John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Light is indispensable. You know that. That's a gross understatement. To say that light is indispensable is perhaps one of the greatest understatements. Light is one of the necessary building blocks of the world, of life itself. Light is the first thing God ever spoke into existence. And yet, how many of us short of turning off our lamps and our lights at night, really give much thought to light. It's just something we take for granted. The sun comes up, the sun sheds its light, even on a cloudy morning there is enough light to illumine our day just as it is this morning. But we really can't overstate, can we? The the importance, our need for light. Light reveals things. Light promotes life. It causes life to flourish and to grow. Light guides us where we need to be. Light is quintessential to our very thoughts about all of life. And so as we come to John chapter 8 and verse 12 this morning, and Jesus continues on with his debate with the Jewish leaders, and that debate does not stay the same. It is escalating. And it is escalating very quickly. And as we resume Jesus' debate with them, and as this confrontation escalates, 
so does Jesus' work of revealing truth. And the terminology and the picture that Jesus uses for himself to do this is nothing less than light. That great power created by God to reveal truth, to promote life. Jesus simply speaks and he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light. This is the second time Jesus has used that formula, I am, and then attached a predicate, a descriptor to that. What are you, Jesus? I am light. I said I was bread in chapter 6. I am now light in chapter 8. And I am here to reveal truth. I am here to reveal God to you. You see, John, in the way he writes, reverses the world's expectation. And maybe it's good for you this morning to have your expectation reversed as well. What expectation is it that John reverses? It is this. That it is not the world that sits in judgment upon Jesus. It is Jesus the light who sits in judgment upon the world. The world likes to think in terms of our own sufficiency to render a right verdict about Jesus and evaluate the truth claims of Jesus according to what we think. Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. I am the light that is revealing you. You are not here to render judgment about me. You are not here to reveal things in me. I am the light that has come to reveal all truth, both about who I am and about who you are. Many men throughout history have said that, The problem is not that men have difficulty reading the Bible. Men have problems and difficulty because the Bible reads them. That's Jesus. He came as the light to read and to reveal the truth, not only about who he is, but about who we are. About our own hearts. About our own needs for a Savior. Tom Schreiner points out in his commentary, Jesus is not on trial. It is the world that is on trial in the light of his light. Jesus is the light of the world. What a simple statement. And yet what power is revealed in that one statement? I am the light of the world. I am disclosing myself as that penetrating light, that light, that that core of, of revealing and judging both what is wrong and what is right. To render true verdict in legal terminology. How am I going to do that? Because I am the light. Because I am the perfect light. Jesus, as I mentioned, is in the, in the midst of an ongoing and growing controversy with the religious leaders. He is not making any more friends at this point. He is, however, making more enemies. He is 
clearly revealing truth. And he does so as the light of the world. Let's think for light about light for just a moment. There is no corner light does not touch when it is introduced. And you know this. You, you know this because if you have ever been, and some of you recently have told me, and, and my heart goes out to you because I understand when you say this, the situation that you're in, but you've, you've experienced headaches, migraine-type headaches that are so intense, and you think you've done a good job shutting out all the light in a room, but if you've got a headache like that in the middle of the day, you can work to shut out the light all you want, and it's going to find its way through, doesn't it? It's never totally dark. <laughs> Even at night, it's not totally dark. Even that, that minimal light from the stars and the moon, it's enough, isn't it? To after our eyes adjust, that there is no corner that light does not reach when it is present. Spiritually speaking, when the light of Christ and the light of Scripture is revealed, there is no hidden thought. There is no attitude. There is no sin that it does not reveal. It touches everything. You want proof of that? People will begin to react against the truth and they will begin to accuse you of accusing them of doing this, that, or the other and you never said a word about that. You know what happened? Light touched the conscience. Light revealed. Light is undoing them. Not for the purpose of cruelty, but for the purpose that they might turn to the light. Because not only does the light produce judgment and discernment, it produces salvation. It reveals the hope as well as the problem. There's no hidden thought, attitude, sin that the light of Christ does not reveal. And that's why the world hates him. Jesus has not enumerated every sin of every one of these religious leaders. He's not attacked them personally. But the light of the world has come and it has revealed things about them and they know they are naked before God. And so they react violently, seeking to kill him. Positively speaking, there is no truth that the light will not bring to bear. Light does not leave us in ignorance. I'm so thankful for that. So many people today make so much about the Holy Spirit and they talk about the Holy Spirit and, and there's so many times we hear things that are errant about the Holy Spirit. People are are mistaken in what they ascribe to the Holy Spirit. But there is one thing that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit that we can take to the bank, and that is this, that He will come and guide us into all truth. How does He do that? Jesus also said He will come and remind you of all the things that I've said. 
He will point us to light that will guide us into all truth. What a glorious privilege. Do you understand that? No other religion in the world has a God who comes near to them in the form of His only Son, offers Himself as their sacrifice, and then even when He leaves, sends His Spirit to point us back to Him and guide us into all truth. Nobody claims that. The best they can do is say that they've left behind prophets or gurus that will give you their best thoughts about Him. No, Christ, the light, has sent a light to testify to that light. So that forever we might be guided into all truth and God brings all truth to bear. And as Jesus will go on in verse 31 to say, if you know the truth, the truth does what? Set you free. It'll make you free. And he that the Son makes free is free indeed. Glorious freedom by glorious truth revealed by the glorious light of the world. Amazing. Now I want you to notice something about verse 12 here in chapter 8. Verse 12, if what we said last week about chapter 7 verse 53 through chapter 8 verse 11, if that is true, and I believe that it is, that this is a later addition to the Gospel of John that was not inspired, as demonstrated by your brackets around those verses, that being true, then chapter 8 verse 12 follows directly on the heels of chapter 7 verse 52. Placing Jesus' statement about being the light of the world in the middle of his controversy and his conversation and his teaching with the Pharisees at the Feast of Tabernacles. This is not another event. Rather, it's a continuation of the same event. Another reason I believe this is the case is the way verse 12 is worded. Notice what our Bible says, then Jesus again. If you were to read the Greek Bible, it would say this, again, Jesus spoke. Again, being the first word. It has a primal importance to it. It is connecting us directly to the events that preceded it in chapter 7. Jesus isn't letting go of this opportunity that he sees at the Feast of Tabernacles, standing up halfway through that feast and beginning to teach. Why would he do that? Why is he building upon it? Because the Feast of Tabernacles was also a feast of incredible light. They would light these chandeliers and these candelabras in the court of the women where Jesus is speaking, which is the outer court of the temple. And throughout the evening and throughout the night, that light is radiating out from the temple. And Jesus in essence, is standing against that backdrop and saying to these religious leaders, you see that light? That light that you rejoice in? Ha! That's nothing. I'm the light of the world. This is just light to light up the outer court of the temple. I am the light of the world. 
this light that you're celebrating was given to point to me. To tell you that there is a Messiah coming. I'm here to tell you that's me. I am here. I am the true light that has come into the world, as John has said in chapter 1, and coming into the world enlightens every man, both for condemnation and for salvation. Jesus is the light. Jesus seizes all of the imagery. He wastes nothing about the feast. He wastes nothing about the candles. He wastes nothing. This is all pointing to me. Seizing the moment, making his claim, stating the case, proving that he is the light of the world. And in so doing, he is forcing the minds of his critics to wrestle. Like a grappler, like a wrestler, he grabs them and takes them down to the mat. And you're not getting up until you contend with the realities of who I am. I'm not letting you go until you understand who you are dealing with. And that is no one less than the true Messiah about whom all of these other things testify and point towards. So we need to ask ourselves the question, what is the significance that Jesus is holding their face in as they are down on the mats, as he is forcing them to to, to grapple with truth and to wrestle with truth? What is it that is so significant here in verse 12? In short, this is a declaration of deity. This is Jesus succinct declaration yet again that he is God. He also is giving them an exposition, an explanation of expectation. These feasts, this temple, everything you're doing is not for its own sake, but for a greater work. And that is the point to me. What were these Jewish people hearing then? What are they seeing and thinking as Jesus issues this statement? Well, being the religious leaders that they are, being well-schooled in the Old Testament and knowing it, to their credit, knowing the Old Testament. They would have understood what Jesus was saying by his use of applying light to himself. And let me just take you through a few of these this morning. The first thing that they would have been reminded of as this had been a feast celebrating what God had done in the wilderness was the light that led them through the wilderness. And that light was God himself. In Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light. It doesn't say that God created fire to give them light. It said that the Lord himself is that light that is going before them. The Lord was going before them. He was going before them as a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. 
that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. God has always had a light to guide his people. He is that light. Exodus 13 states that he is the light. Jesus is now coming and saying, that light is here. But it's not a pillar of fire anymore. It is in full and true humanity. You are beholding the light of God face to face. I am the light of the world. And oh yeah, by the way, it's not just for the nation of Israel anymore. It is for the world. It's for everyone who will believe. We're not just wandering through the wilderness. We are on our journey to eternity with God. And I am the light. Secondly, they would have understood what will be said shortly after chapter 13 in the book of Exodus. And that is the light was given for their protection. In chapter 14, beginning in verse 19, the angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. God, the light, separated the sure destruction of his people by Egypt By standing between them. But by coming and saying that that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. What is he communicating? Jesus Christ is the safeguard of his people. He stands between certain destruction and life. What is the destruction? What is Jesus come to save us from? What does this light stand between Us and what? Between God and us. Between the holy wrath and judgment of God Almighty and His people. That's what the light of the world has come to do. To stand between God and us. Our biggest problem is not ourselves. Our biggest problem is not even hell per se. Our biggest problem, our biggest need is to be saved from a holy God who will not leave sin unpunished. Do you understand that? Hell is a manifestation of that punishment, but who we need to be saved from is Almighty God. And Jesus, as the light of the world, just as in the Old Testament, stands between God and His people so that His perfection covers them, incurring God's blessing instead of God's wrath. The light that led the people out of Egypt, the light that protected the people from Egypt, would then become synonymous with the Shekinah glory of God that dwelled in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies where God only could dwell. As the New Testament describes Him, a God of unapproachable light. 
their God dwells in His throne, in the Holy of Holies, between the two cherubim, above the mercy seat. There is light. They certainly would have understood this. They know what happens in this place where light, unapproachable light dwells. There, pardon for sin is granted. As the high priest once a year, after great ritualistic cleansing, would enter in on behalf of the people to make atonement for sin on the mercy seat. There the light of God dwelled. And Jesus is now saying, I am that light. Because God is that light that leads and protects and saves, it becomes the theme of the song of God's people. In Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? To, to, to put Paul's take on it in Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? No one. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world. Leading, securing, saving. God's people sing of that light. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 36, 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Not only does God lead, protect, and save, God informs by His light. He, he helps us to know who He is in all of His beauty. In all of His glory, in all of His grace, in His light we see light. The more Jesus reveals, the more we see to be true. In your light we see light. Now ironically, that is the motto of Columbia University. Still to this day, in your light we see light. Boy, they've drifted, haven't they? But it's true, in the light of the world, we see the light of life. The light of life that is in God. Certainly these religious leaders would also understand that light meaning an expression of God's work. That God is operatively doing something. In Psalm 44 verse 3. For by their own sword they did not possess the land, and their own arm did not save them. But by your right hand and your arm and the light of your presence, you have favored them. Light is the expectation of the end of the age. Light is the, 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 the characteristic of heaven. It would come with the coming of the Messiah. Whatever else you want to describe heaven as being, you better include light. Because it is going to radiate a light and a beauty that can come only from God himself. In Isaiah chapter 60, 
looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and to the coming of the eternal state. We read this in verse 19. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord, Yahweh, for an everlasting light. And your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light. And the days of your mourning will be over. Then all your people will be righteous. What a day that's going to be. Free from the presence of sin. They will possess the land forever. No more judgment taking us out of that. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. The smallest one will become a clan, and the least a mighty nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. You don't need the sun. You don't need the moon. I made those things. Those are lesser lights compared to me, who am the chief light. And John, in his vision of the eternal state in chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 23, And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. As Jesus stands before these religious leaders, He declares, I am that light, the light of the world. Why do they hate it then? Why do they hate it? I'll tell you why they hated it. It made them irrelevant. It strips away everything about them. They're no longer needed. Their efforts are revealed at best to be A picture of what's to come, not the substance of the thing to come. It it lays man low and it exalts God. And, And that is the essence of the gospel, is it not? That God came to save sinners. Not that man created a system by which man can become a saint. God came down. God came and saved sinners. They don't want to hear that. It it takes away their source of boasting, their source of pride, and it puts everything on Jesus. All worship, all glory, all praise. But perhaps the most piercing passage, referring to light, that points to Jesus, and perhaps the reason they are so infuriated is that it is a passage they would have just read at this feast. And it comes from Zechariah chapter 14. You will flee by the valley of my mountains. For the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord, my God, will come and all the holy ones with him. And in that day there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. Um, that's you. 
this is not what God has ultimately intended. Your system has dwindled. For it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but it will come about at that evening time there will be light. Against the the, the backdrop of darkness, light is coming. So when Jesus walks onto the scene and says, I'm the light, what has he just said about them? You're the darkness. You're the darkness Zechariah talked about. I am the light of the evening. I am the one who has come. He goes on in verse 8 of Zechariah, and in that day living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. Remember, if you you can go back a few weeks, one of the ceremonial parts of this Feast of Tabernacles was the golden laver that would pour out water and it would run down from the Temple Mount. Jesus is pulling that imagery in too. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. What days? When the light comes. Jesus stands and says, I'm the light. That day has come. It has nothing to do with your system. It has nothing at all to do with you. It has everything to do with me. I am your great messianic saving hope. You don't need to have this feast anymore. What? What what do you mean we don't need the feast anymore? I'm here. I fulfilled that. Do do you remember in the book of Acts? When the, the apostles would go into a city and they would begin to preach and people would begin to leave their idols. Do you remember the reason the riots happened? Who started, the, who started the riots? In Acts 19. Idol makers. Why? You don't need them anymore. Why do the Jewish leaders get mad? You don't need them anymore. Jesus is bad for business. He's bad for for ceremonial burdens that you can place upon people. He's bad for all of that. Why? He's come to set men free. And we don't need things that tell us He is coming. He's here. And so when He says, I am the light of the world, they know full well what He's talking about. All of those Old Testament passages that we just walked through are circulating in their mind and they get it. Jesus has revealed judgment. He has shown the inferiority of their system. The sinfulness of their own hearts and their rejection of him and their hatred of him. Again, going back to chapter 5, they are still finding ways to kill him. They're asking their best people, their temple guards... To give me target packages to use today's military parlance. Give us strategic, tactical plans. Let's take this guy down. 
But as much as Jesus came and revealed all of that, he also came as the light of the world to bring life. Because that's also what light does. It brings life. And as chapter 9, chapter 9 is so refreshing, and I don't want to jump ahead too far because we still have a lot of territory in chapter 8 to cover. But chapter 9 is such a breath of fresh air. Because here we, he, we have a, a man who's born blind. Born blind. It's one thing to lose your sight. It's another thing to never know what color is. To not know what birds look like. To not know what your own parents look like. To not know what light really looks like. All you know is darkness. You have no experience that takes you out of the prison of your blindness. A memory of what something looked like. A sunset. A sunrise. Nothing. And here's this man who is born blind. He's never seen a day in his life. And the disciples ask Jesus the question at the beginning of John chapter 9. Jesus, who sinned? Who sinned? This man or his parents? Sincere question. Common way of thinking. Still a common way of thinking, unfortunately. Prosperity gospel thinking says, well, if you're suffering, it's because you must have done something really bad. But if you're healthy and you've got plenty of money and you've got plenty of ease and life is good and you know you got the right administration and office, you must have done something right. That's a lie. Job was a righteous man. And he suffered mightily. Jesus, why was this man born blind? Was it him that sinned or his parents? Jesus said, you guys, you have so much to learn. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I created this man from eternity past. I formed him in the womb so that his eyes would not work. How about that? So that when he was born on an exact day, at an exact time, in an exact place, I would walk up to this man, touch his eyes, heal him so that you would see the mighty works of God. And then Jesus says this. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He takes us all the way back to chapter 8, verse 12. I did this so that I could show you the power of light. I healed so that this man might have light. So that you would understand, I am the light. 
has nothing to do with his sin or his mom and dad's sin. It has everything to do with me showing you there is saving hope in me who is the light of the world. Now, isn't that worth it? By the way, that blind man didn't kick Jesus in the shin and say, how dare you create me like that? Why did you do that? You couldn't have found a better example? All these years you made me walk around blind? He doesn't say that. What does he do? Whether this man is the son of God, I do not know. But one thing I do know. I was once blind, but now I see. There was once darkness and now there is light. If he says he's the light of the world, you better believe him. Because I'm living proof. And he rejoices in the goodness of a Savior who is the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I feed the hungry. I am the light of the world. I give life that light creates to those who are in darkness. People in need of sustenance, chapter 6. A blind man in chapter 9. The water of life cannot flow, chapter 4, with a woman at the well in Samaria. The bread of life cannot be offered. The light of life cannot shine apart from Jesus Christ. He is the water. He is the light. He is the bread. He is the life. He is the door. He is everything. And this is not surprising to us. In fact, go back to John chapter 1. I've told you this many times, and redundancy is good, aids memory. But these first 18 verses of chapter 1 just are a glorious roadmap for everything that occurs after them. And we're finding this is true. I want you to go back to chapter 1, verse 4, and see how everything Jesus is now saying in chapter 8 had the groundwork laid for it right here. In him... Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. Light, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. His own people are in vehement rejection of him in chapter 8, but that's not a surprise. We were told that was going to happen. And yet at the same time, to those who do believe, he gives life and he gives light. And in verse 12 of chapter 8, Jesus pronounces all of those things with one phrase. I am the light of the world. It's hard for depraved men to understand this. These are not truly God-fearing people in John chapter 7 who are angry with Jesus. They're not God-fearing. They're man-fearing. They're lovers of self. 
To, to reject the light is not to be a God-fearing person. You can't have a rejection of Jesus and say, oh, I, I believe in God. No, you don't. I, I fear God. I worship God. But I, I reject Jesus at this point or that point. Then you don't worship God. At least not the God of the Bible. In John chapter 3, again, a reference that has prepared us for where we are in chapter 8 when Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus. John three nineteen. this is the judgment. That the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. Why do these religious men Why do these, watch me now, holy men reject Jesus? Easy. Their deeds are evil. And they love the darkness that keeps men in bondage to them more than they love the light that sets men free. That's the difference between me and you guys, Jesus is saying. I'm the light of the world. That light sets men free. You are the darkness that leads them into bondage. You're the darkness the Old Testament warned about. That I would come and pierce for the salvation of my people. John goes on recording Jesus' words. For everyone who does evil hates the light. It does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light. Did you hear that? He that practices truth comes to the light. Young people, make note of this. Anyone not running towards Jesus is running towards the darkness of lies. If you're not running to Jesus as he reveals himself, you are running toward lies and darkness and death. The one who practices truth. Not your truth, not his truth, not her truth, not their truth. The truth. Singular. The truth of Christ. The truth of all that Jesus is. The truth of all that Jesus says. So that your deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. You come to Jesus, your deeds will have been manifest as having been wrought in God. Why did you come to Jesus? God did that. Again, like the blind man, to bring glory to God. When you come to the light, it is so that God would be seen as saving and glorious. There's a promise here, and I'll quickly end with this. Look at the end of verse 12. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness. You just won't. You won't, you won't have to fear it. You won't be captured by it. You won't be enslaved to it. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have. The light of life. The light that is characterized by life. Not death. 
Think back with me, would you, to the book of Genesis. The first Adam lived in a world where life and light were interconnected. Where God had just spoken, light be and light was. And Adam walked in that world and he saw the interconnected beauty and power as inseparable. Where the light that God spoke into existence was causing life to flourish like no one else has ever seen. Adam saw that. Can you imagine? Walking in the garden that the light of God had brought into its flourishing state. What a time to be alive. Talk about the good old days. That was the only good old days. Adam saw it. But it wasn't long, too soon, that that light was plunged into darkness. (coughs) Because the First, Adam fell into sin. And sin brought forth death. Sin brought forth darkness. And as Romans 5 tells us, the only thing that has been true and reigned from the first Adam, Adam, to the second Adam, Jesus, is death. And darkness. That's all that's been. That's all we know. That is all we know, brothers and sisters, friends. That's all you know. You don't know what true life and light looks like when you are born into this world. Unless you see Jesus (coughs) and you see him as he reveals himself in John 8, 12. To be the light of the world. Now the second Adam says, come and follow me. And I will, I will be the second Adam to lead you back to where the first Adam led you out. To light in life. Everyone... Who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're going back to Eden, brothers and sisters. We are going home. We are going back to where God created us to be in the first place. A a world where there is inestimable light and glory and life. Where it cannot be separated where we will never be separated from the life and light-giving God Himself. The second Adam says, I've come to lead you home. Remember, that's one thing light does. It is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, and it's leading us back to Eden, back to God's presence. There's perhaps no better picture for a Christian to paint. A man, a woman, a boy, a girl. Walking, following Jesus in light that never ends. I'm not an artist, but if you are and you can think of a way to paint that, paint it. Following the light. 
but there's no end to the light. It's like starting your journey and walking west and west and west and west and west so that the sun never sets. The sun of life. The light of life. Scripture tells us that our sin, and we, we've heard it even today, that our sins are removed as far as east from west. The direction of the light, we're always walking. In Christ, the light of the world. It offends the proud, but it gives hope to the humble. If you're proud this morning, you're mad. If you're lost this morning, you're mad, you're angered, you're frustrated by what you hear. But to those who are broken and humble and know of their need for Christ, this is the best news you've ever heard. How deceived that we can live in light apart from Christ. You can't. Jesus didn't notice one final thing. Jesus does not say he offers light. He says he is light. You want light? Better be in Jesus. That's the the entirety really of so much of the New Testament theology to be in Christ, in him, in the son. Why? To be in Jesus is to be in that light. Not so much to possess the light, but to be possessed by the light. You know what? I'd rather be possessed by something than possess anything. Because if I'm possessing it, guess what I'll do? I'll let go at some point or I'll lose it. But if I am possessed by the light, I can't be lost. If I am possessed by Christ, in Christ. But we don't seek a place, we seek a person, brothers and sisters. We seek the light of the world. There is so much more then to Jesus than what we normally see or think about. My challenge to you this morning is to think about the light of the world. And all of the ramifications Of that truth that Jesus is that light. So has that light arisen for you? Has it been turned on for you? Has the Son of God become the light of the world to you? Or are you still in darkness? Offended rather than saved by His words and His life? It's a question you have to answer. That's not cruel. That's warning you before the boat sinks to get in the lifeboat. Following Jesus. Following the light of the world. Oh, there's life there. And there's life. Would you believe this morning? Would you believe that Jesus is the light of the world for you? If you will believe. And if you believe, you know this, that it is God who gave us the light and the belief in the light. So that he alone is to be praised. I close with Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. 
is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Christian, rejoice. The same God who said, let light come out of darkness has shown us that light in the face of his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the revealing of your light, your son, Jesus Christ. Father, only you know, Holy Spirit, only you know the condition of every heart here or listening online. You know where you have placed faith to believe. You know where there is still darkness, regardless of what the outer pretense says. And God, I pray this morning that you would do what only you can do. Turn on the light. Cause people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world. The way, the truth, and the life. Don't let anyone who's heard this powerful text from the lips of your son, the Lord Jesus himself, be without unbelief. By the time the light that lightens our day and our hours sets tonight, give faith, give belief, draw to Jesus and cause everyone who hears to rejoice in the light of the world. Who came and gave himself for their sins that they might live. Who died in their place. Who has been risen and resurrected for them. So that we might have hope. Both now and forever. In that place where the Lamb himself, Jesus himself is the light. We ask that you would do this, Father, so that you alone are glorified. And for those of us who have experienced that, may we rejoice. May we want to know more of Jesus. We ask this all in his precious, holy, magnificent life and light-giving name. Amen.